Hey everyone, it's Caleb, and I'm so excited that you've decided to spend part of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. And today I am talking with Ben Kirby, who is the founder of Preachers and Sneakers. And if you don't know what that is, we're going to get into that here in just a little bit. But if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, I want to tell you a little bit about us. Here, we want to uh, create a safe place to have difficult conversations. Because if you're similar to me, you've probably gone throughout your life and you have realized that you can't just have a conversation with anyone, just, even, even if you really want to, even if you really hope that is the thing. But it's just not possible. Well, I guess, I guess you can have it, but it may not go the way that you hope that it goes. And, and part of that may be because you're afraid that the person or the person might respond with shame or with judgment or with, uh, in some cases, it's anger as well. And it just makes it really difficult to have a conversation. And I know that I've been through that as well too. There's been uh, there's been times throughout my life to where there were certain things that I wish that I could talk about, certain questions that I wish, wish that I could ask. And I just didn't feel like I had people around me that I could talk with about that. And so even if you don't have those people, I hope that maybe this podcast can fill in a little bit of the gap for you as well and maybe help you feel like you're not alone in that. And so, uh, as I mentioned, talking with Ben Kirby today, uh, founder of Preachers and Sneakers. But before I get into that, I do want to tell you about a recommended resource that I have today. And the resource that I want to recommend is from a, a kind of a, a biography that I just finished reading, and it is called Three Ring Circus. And the subtitle is uh, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty. It's by Jeff Perlman. And it's a it's a look back on uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, which is an uh, which is an NBA or a basketball franchise in the NBA. And they're look at about a uh, I think an eight to ten year uh, run with Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal uh, headed by uh, Phil Jackson and kind of the just what they experienced over those three or over those uh, eight to ten years in it. Uh, and it culminated in three championships, but there is just a lot of there. There's a lot of messy stuff just all throughout the book. A lot of conflict, a lot of turmoil, and just seeing seeing how they deal with it, and just realizing that they don't handle it all very well. In fact, there's a lot of times to where they don't handle it very well. And so it was, it was a very intriguing read. You know, for me, uh, you know, I, I love basketball. And so learning from that was pretty interesting. Uh, a lot of things to learn what not to do in that or not or how not to handle situations in there. But it was very, very intriguing, very enlightening to me as well. Now, as I mentioned today, I am talking with uh, Ben Kirby. And uh, today we're talking with him about, uh, well, we're talking with him about the Preachers and Sneakers account, which he started a few years ago. He also recently released a brand new book called Preachers and Sneakers, Authenticity in an Age for For-Profit Faith and Wannabe Celebrities. And I was so excited whenever I had the uh, chance to talk with Ben. And the reason is, is because, you know, I feel like he, he has, he wants to have a conversation around something that does not get talked about 
a lot, and that is uh, faith and uh, pro- and I mean, partly the prosperity gospel as well, and celebrityism, and just just all of that that comes in and in, entailed with that, and just very much being okay that that there may not be an answer, like a a black and white answer to the question, and so. I'm really excited to bring that to you. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about Ben before we dive into the conversation. Ben is the creator of the viral social media sensation Preachers and Sneakers, where he caused an uproar after showing the value of what clothing preachers were wearing on stage across the globe, along with growing from zero to hundreds of thousands of followers in just a few weeks which we cover that sto- we cover it in the interview and talk about that as well. His work has been featured in the New York Times, the New Yorker, the Wall Street Journal, BuzzFeed, Fox News, Complex, and many more. He also hosts the popular podcast with the ultra-creative name, The Preachers and Sneakers Podcast. His background is unconventional for this type of movement. He served as, uh, as a Marine Corps logistics officer serving tours in Eastern Europe across Romania. Kosovo, Bosnia, Italy, and Spain leading hundreds of Marines and sailors to protect the United States and its allies. After his time in the Marines, Ben served as a vice president of operations for a tech-enabled services firm where he not only served in a leadership role, but also helped manage a multi-million dollar operation. He has quite the background, very extensive uh, background, and he now works full-time as a business owner, podcaster, and author based out of Texas. And so, now that you know about Ben Kirby, here is my conversation with him. Well, Ben, super excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me, Caleb. It's great to meet you, and I uh, appreciate the platform that you've got. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just as we're starting out, you know, uh, I want to hear the story behind uh, Preachers and Sneakers and get to that in just a second. Sure. But uh, man, one of the things, just as I was preparing for us to talk, that is just so apparent in like all of your work is just the theme of authenticity whenever it comes to all of this stuff. And I would just mm-hmm. love to hear like what what has happened in your life that authenticity has just become such like a, a value for you. Yeah. And I, I imagine something, I'll do something in the future that'll make it seem like I was being in, inauthentic at times and I'm not perfect, <laughs> perfect at, like I'm not perfect at this, yeah. but I've realized through like therapy and talking with my community and my wife and everybody that for whatever reason, uh, desiring authenticity for myself and for others is something that really fires me up. I guess it's, um, I guess I just have little patience for people putting on a mask or putting on a show because uh, I've, I've gone through hard things. Everybody goes through hard things and not all of life is hunky dory and everybody still continues to try to put on like it is. And, uh, that, that grates at me a little bit. And I think, especially as people that are Christians who have a hope somewhere else and not in our own performance or our own image or anything that we do, uh, we should be leading the charge in terms of saying, Hey, all this sucks. And I've got all these questions about this thing. And I, I've got doubts and, uh, I don't have everything figured out, but I'm pushing to, uh, I'm glad I follow a God that does have it figured out and it does have a plan. And so, um, it preachers and seekers didn't start out as a desire for that, but I think early on, there must've been something in the back of my head that felt like, uh, the, the show and all the production and all of the glamor of some of these, uh, church environments felt 
inauthentic to me. And I guess I wanted to dig deeper into that. Yeah. So I was going to say, so why don't you just kind of tell a little bit of the, or tell the story of Preachers and Sneakers, you know, how, how it got it started from, for you and, uh, you know, kind of where things are at today. For sure, man. Uh, it's weird. Uh, and it's weird how God either has allowed this to work or has made this work. Um, but two years ago, I was in the middle of my MBA program. I was getting my master's of business here in Dallas at SMU. And uh, I had slept through church one weekend back in March of 2019. And my wife was out of town. And so I just, for whatever reason that day, decided to sit on my couch and watch YouTube worship videos in lieu of going to church. And I had never done that ever before. And, um, but for whatever reason, I, that was all I had in me, I guess. And, uh, so I looked up, I was just looking up song, like per song. I wasn't looking, watching a playlist or a service or anything. I was just looking up individual songs. I had that song resurrecting by elevation worship stuck in my head. I looked it up and I watched the video and, um, I quickly realized the lead singer was wearing a, a pair of Yeezys that were worth like $850 at the time on resale markets. And, uh, while, while going through this, I was into sneakers myself. I had, I had, uh, been kind of flipping sneakers and collecting a couple part-time as a, a supplement because I, I wouldn't, I didn't have a full-time job. I was in full-time school. Um, so I had done that up to that point. So I was able to recognize all these pretty distinct sneakers and, uh, have an idea of how much they're worth because many of these are really sought after. And so I, I made a quick video basically saying, Hey, Elevation, how much do you pay your dudes that they can wear $800 sneakers? And I had no followers. I had, I think, 350 or 400 personal followers. Made a video and then I saw some other YouTube videos of these guys I'd never heard of at the time. And they were all wearing really expensive stuff or really high value stuff. And I was, I, all of a sudden, I was aware, I became aware of this whole subculture of like really beautiful hype beast Christianity that I had no exposure to. And so I made a couple of videos about that. And then eventually I went to everybody's Instagram pages and saw more pictures of them wearing these type, that type of stuff. And so all I, all I did without any plan or strategy or anything, I just uh, reposted their picture and put a screenshot of what the, either the resale value or the retail value was uh, next to each other with a funny caption. And people lost their minds about it because it, it, without saying much, it communicated a ton, unbeknownst to me. Like I, I have no experience in this. I do now, but at the time I didn't have any experience doing this. And so it struck a chord for a lot of different types of people. And it got people talking about, uh, way deeper things than literal preachers wearing sneakers. And so now two years later, I'm, I'm trying to continue the conversation because it's, it's led to, I think, some meaningful examination about how we do church and how we idolize people and how we preach all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, I did my best to write a book about it, and and uh, now I'm going to talk to interesting people and hopefully get the message out that uh, maybe we need to start questioning some of these things. Yeah, uh, I, I want to go back to what you were saying, and you know, you said that uh, you you thought you were just entering one conversation, and all of a sudden you find out, oh man, this this is a much larger conversation, and you get a much more intense reaction than maybe what you were thinking. Take me oh, back yeah. to that, and like, what was it like dealing with just just all of that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that's very hard to be equipped for because there's no playbook on how to not only manage a viral thing that you did not intend for it to be viral, but then also manage, uh, having lots of groups of people be very intense towards you in, or in the positive and the negative, uh, having no theological background or anything, just being like a random average dude. Um, and so it wasn't overnight, but within 
four weeks, I went from zero to a hundred thousand followers and all the media agencies were calling me trying to figure out who I was and what I was doing. Um, and so when you're not, when you don't have a vision or a strategy or anything, you're just reacting to a thing that's happening that feels important. Uh, I basically was just having to do it live and, and made decisions on the fly and, uh, had to really contend with people that were really mad at me. Um, and I didn't handle it great at first because I'm not a sociopath. Like I feel when people are upset at me, I don't love it. And, um, especially when like high profile Christians are messaging me, telling me how wrong it is that I'm doing something or how wrong it is the thing that I'm doing. Um, as one guy with nobody around him that has context for this kind of thing, it, it took months for me to basically feel some form of security about what I was doing. So I was questioning yeah. it all the time because I was like, all right, clearly there's Christians on this side and atheists that feel really strongly about this being important. And then there's another subset of Christians on the other side that think what I'm doing is divisive and pushing people away from Christianity. Um, and so I, there's plenty of anxiety and uh, late nights trying to respond to DMs and manage comments and uh, filter media requests, all that kind of stuff. All while not making any money or like, I don't have a in-state for this. I'm not, I'm not a public figure at the time. Um, so it wasn't, it was intense and all while trying to get good grades in my master's program. So like, it was a lot. Yeah. I was gonna say, and at that time, like no one knew who you were also. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was a weird experience where it's like I had several people that knew me and knew that I was into sneakers send me the account saying, hey, dude, have you seen this? And that's a pretty cool feeling yeah. to have like, yeah, dude, I mean, I did it. Uh, so that's a cool feeling. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, becoming more secure. What what helped you become more secure while you're, like you said, you're getting all of this, you know, this pushback and different sides of everything. What helped you like just gain that greater sense of security or sense of self. Yeah. Um, I haven't fully achieved it yet. I mean, this yeah. stuff is such like a imperfect, there's, there's really no perfect answers to the things that I've chosen to be at the center of, or have been chosen to be at the center of, uh, if you're a Calvinist or not. <laughs> um, but, uh, what's helped me one is having community that most of my community group isn't on Instagram at all but they've been able to speak uh, wisdom and biblical insight into what I do in terms of like getting my heart right. I spoke with my pastor, uh, who's a pretty big name here in Dallas about uh, some of these things and also have gone to plenty of counseling. Um, and I have a very, very wise wife that has kept me out of a lot of trouble. So all those things over time have helped me to frame it in a way that uh, feels worth continuing. Because if it was... If it was me just poking the bears, trying to be a troll to Christianity, to up, try to, you know, point out flaws in Christianity and how it's stupid to be a part of any of this, I, this wouldn't continue. That would have gone away in a month because people would just start toning me, tuning me out. Uh, and I had no intention of that. I had no intention of being uh, a troll or anything. I, did, I, like, I like making people laugh. I think there's a difference. I like making people laugh while also making them think. And I think it's, it's a helpful tool to help people think a comedy. I'm not a comedian, but I think comedy can be a very helpful tool to get people to see things that they maybe had accepted as status quo previously. Um, so yeah, all those things, my community, reading the Bible, talking to my pastor, talking to a counselor and 
ultimately time and experiencing, like getting some context for all these things, all that's helped me now. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest thing that you learned through that period? Um, I don't know. There's some positive things and there's some negative things. The positive things I think is that it's, it's fully solidified that this is a valid thing to uh, ask questions about and to discuss. I think the, the national international response to it was validation to me that this is not just about dudes wearing sneakers on stage. uh, And that could never have been uh, manufactured by, by me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess a big thing is that the the conversation is worth having for a lot for a long time. I was like, dude, I don't even know if this is worth bringing up because people are so irritated. It's exhausting. It's got an imperfect answer, um, but asking questions is okay. Um, so those are some positive things. Some negative things is just that like uh, Christians can be really mean on both sides, and just because they're being mean to you doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It might be an indication of their own heart about thing, or you might have, uh, exposed an idol for them or something that they don't want to contend with. And so like, again, I've run the account in a messy way and have hurt people's feelings and have owned up to like all the imperfect stuff I've done about it. But I also think it can be a mirror. Uh, somehow it can be a mirror to the, the person that shows up on the account or that interacts with the account in a way that can be organic, whether it be to show that they're being overly judgmental of people they don't know about or that they're being uh, too scared to ask a question about something. So it's like a lot of multi-layered stuff that I could have never planned on. Um, But yeah, Christians can be super mean and it's uh, hard to be at the receiving end of that. Yeah. What surprised you the most? Just about the life of the account? Yeah. Yep. Um. You've had a lot of really good speakers on this podcast that have a bunch of uh, really <laughs> pithy sounding quips. I am not that, and so I got to oh. think about. I got to think about these no, answers because I, I don't good. want to be canned. Um, the thing that surprised me, I, I mean, the response to it was the uh, the, the response to it from the beginning has been a shock because uh, it's still the for the first year and a half, really, all I did was post the same type of thing that I posted the first day I started the account. And not much more. And that grew the account organically and caused people to discuss this. So the response, I think, was very shocking because this thing, it shouldn't be a thing. Me posting these pictures, there's many smarter, more creative, more beautiful, more funny people on Instagram that are starting accounts that don't get the response that I've gotten. And um, so that's probably the biggest shock. I'm talking myself into it. But that that was probably the biggest shock was uh, the response and just the longevity of it that it's still it's still worth talking about now. It wasn't, it was a viral thing. It had, it had its kind of peak in the media, uh, which is fine. And uh, now it's maybe more of an accepted thing among kind of this niche Christian social media space. Um, But it's also surprising that this is still a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of, uh, one of the things that I've just been struggling with and I would, uh, or just wrestling around with my mind, I would love your thoughts on it. Cause I think it hits at, you know, a lot of the stuff behind preachers and sneakers is, uh, is the idea of self-promotion whenever you are like a, a follower of Jesus, because yeah. 
like I've I've just been thinking about, you know, I, I can't help but think of the verse in like John 30 to where, you know, he must become greater, I must become less. Yeah. And it's almost like the message is like, well, I'm I'm going to become greater so that he can become greater. You mean you're like, saying like across the board? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's something John 3.30 is uh, turning into one of my probably key verses for how I run yeah. the account and how I've done the book because that's that's behind all of this. Like all the extra stuff we care about in church and in Christianity is about the man that's producing it or putting it out or performing and makes even just a little bit less about the one that's worth actually elevating. And so it gets into all these things that I had never considered before about how we treat celebrities as Christians, how we treat uh, Christian celebrities, how we treat our pastor and how we treat uh, those who are more talented or more beautiful. Like, I think there's, uh, I know that there's a, uh, a righteous way to appreciate talent and to yeah. appreciate God's creation and how he is bl- uh, blessed and uh, given people different talents. Um, but turning people into idols is a different thing. And it's, I think, a very distinct difference because at least in a preaching context, it's like you can pretty quickly uh, see who the sermon is about. It's either about Jesus or it's about the guy preaching and the people consuming the message. It's about how to improve your life. And um, instead of how to worship, I I listened to your Derwin Gray conversation before this, uh, and he had a couple good points about like how God is the one worth worshiping and none of us are, this is paraphrasing significantly and he's actually like educated compared to me. Uh, God is the one worth worshiping. None of us are worth really elevating. And if you do elevate any of these guys or girls or yourself through your social media accounts or whatever, you're inevitably going to fail. And the fallout is going to be immense, like based on how big you get or how much reach you get. And so at a minimum, I want people to realize the situation they're in or they're putting other people in and realize like, uh, ask them to consider how they can put controls in place. Like we see it all the time about celebrity pastors. It's a, that's a buzzword, but really famous pastors or really famous faith leaders being a bit larger than life and having no people around them willing to say, Hey dude, you're being an idiot. And in turn they screw up and have this massive fallout that, uh, makes all of us Christians look a certain type of way. And, um, so I think it's just, it's, I think it's a more serious thing than many of us have, uh, treated it. The whole idea of celebrity or, or, you know, treating, even just like subconsciously treating people like they're greater than others. Uh, it's just a dangerous game to play. And, uh, I think it's one worth discussing. Yeah. Uh, how, how have you managed the tension between, you know, preachers and sneakers and promoting yourself versus like keeping your, keeping yourself in check with, yeah. you know, with, with Jesus and with God as well. Yeah. And, uh, I wanted to do this as slowly and as wisely as possible. Like I could have easily put my name out there early, which would have, would have which would have had its pros and cons, but I could have very, I could have been taking credit for all this, uh, for the past two years, which I did intentionally. Um, because I don't want this to be about me. It would be real tacky if I had this big thing blow up. And then I said, come to my course where I teach you how to blah, blah, or come to my conference and do the blah, blah, blah. Um, I recognize like there's, there plenty of irony in the whole thing. I think it's ironic that you can get super rich off of preaching as well. So like irony shouldn't be something to scare us away from having an important conversation. Like I, 
I accept that people can point that I wrote a book and now my name is out there. Um, but it's up to me too, to fight against it. Like I'm quick to say I'm nothing special and I don't want special treatment and I don't, I shouldn't, I don't think I need to fly, fly first class anywhere or be put up in any kind of special hotel. Like I've slept in the dirt on rocks before in the Marine Corps. Like I, I feel nothing about like how special I am. I enjoy making people laugh and making people think that kind of stuff. It feels good to do something in your gifts as I'm sure you enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, and it's a constant battle. Like I, uh, of course people are going to know my name because of the nature of writing a book. I, I think very, a lot less people know my name than people that follow me may think. Uh, I, I've at, up to this point, I've been out and, I mean, I've been out in public a bunch, not a single person has been like, Hey dude, are you the preachers and sneakers guy? So it's like, it's, I'm not that famous and I don't think yeah. I'll ever be that famous. And I, people that know me think it's cool or whatever, but that's something I asked my, my community about my counselor about my, uh, my buddy, Jonathan Pakuda, Pakuda, who's a pastor in uh, Waco wrote about this in his book, welcoming the future church. And I think is, is really good about this where he's like this tall, larger than life character. He's got a huge following, but he's quick to say, talk about how he was an idiot before Christ and how you probably could find things to cancel him on and how, when people come up to him at after service and kind of act like he's a celebrity or whatever, he's quick to say, Hey man, like that doesn't serve any of us. Well, um, like straight up. And I want to be like that. I want to be like that where I can say where people can come up to me and, or online or whatever, interact with me in a way that I'm, they don't feel like I think I'm more special than them. Cause I know I'm not, I know a lot of this like fell into my lap and, uh, I'm trying to do right by the, the opportunity, but I think, um, it's just a constant battle, but there's a difference. Like there's a difference between like, uh, having your name known and fighting against people thinking you're awesome versus buying into it and using that to elevate your personal brand to a whole new level and, you know, get a show on Oprah's network, that kind of thing. I think there's just like a, you can, you can have both. I think it's like, kind of we talk about the gray area, yeah. but if you just fully buy into one, I think it's a dangerous game to play. Mm -hmm. What, what are some ways? Cause I know that you've probably been thinking about this a lot. How can we like still, honor the per you know the the pastor and, and I'm not even talking about like the celebrities because we all have people in our life that uh you know we we put them on a pedestal or we want to honor them because hey they've meant so much to me. How, yeah yeah how do you how do you balance that tension between honor them and putting them on a pedestal and almost like making them an idol or something? Uh -huh. Hmm. Cause I do I do the same. Like I have I have plenty of celebrity people that if I saw out in the streets I would I would be weird about like yeah. John Mayer, Matthew McConaughey, Denzel Washington, these kind of people that it would be hard for me to be like, yeah, what's up, dude? Yeah. Whatever, man. Uh, because some people are like more talented or you yeah. do appreciate things that they've given like the, you appreciate what they've meant in your life. And there's not, there's no arguing that. I don't think, uh, I think there's a righteous way to, to honor people. I think um, once you start, publicly putting people up on a pedestal in a way that elevates them more than, um, is healthy. So like all the, all the language about the, one of the greatest communicators of our generation is, is here with us today in our church or whatever that starts to characterize a man, a fallen human as a guy that sounds, uh, perfect or sounds yeah. like he is more anointed or more whatever 
uh, and pl- plenty of people are more more talented and uh, have gifts that not everybody has. Um, but I think if you're in a if you're in a cycle of elevating people like that, where people are basing their uh, life philosophies or their their salvations on what one person says, I go to so and so's church. I go to so and so's. I listen to so. I went to so and so's conference instead of. Like I go to church at such and such and they're doing a lot for the kingdom, that kind of stuff. Like, I think just, it's kind of like the purity thing where it's like a directional type deal. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if you're heading towards uh, exalting God over everything, especially in a church context, you're going to be fine. Like, it's okay. I think to say, we are so grateful to have so-and-so here to come speak um, because he's on fire for God, blah, blah. His teachings have helped so many people, um, that kind of thing. Instead of saying, one of the greatest dudes, one of the heroes of the faith is here with us. And he's been sitting in our green room drinking our, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, I think, it, I think it's uh, a directional thing where you can absolutely honor people. I want, I want anyone yeah. that deserves honor. I want, I want to be honored and I want to honor people that have helped my life. There's plenty of people that are worth it. Um, but I think there's a difference between that and uh, using the kind of celebrity or, kind of worship language that can be unhealthy. Yeah. Cause, cause it feels good for people to tell me that dude, you're hilarious or, you know, what you're doing is so important. It's like, you're a prophet. You're, you know, this, this is, uh, you know, nothing has been this good since Martin Luther freaking nailing his thesis on the wall, that kind of stuff <laughs> like that for people like me in Enneagram three that likes to be a high achiever, likes to likes attention, likes to speak in front of people. All that feels too good. And, uh, eventually it's something that I have to repent of because it's like, oh, people think I'm awesome or people think I'm hilarious. It's like, dude, you're nothing, man. Like you're nothing without God. And he's, it's all gravy that he has given you. Like you don't deserve any of this. And so I guess, I guess all that to say is, um, maybe that's a more negative way of viewing life or status or whatever, but I just, I'm just so sick of people getting elevated to a point where they put so much at risk and then in turn, uh, that thing does become at risk, their ministry, their impact, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's a very uh, nebulous way of answering your question, I guess. No, that's good because I I think just with subjects like this, like it just requires more of the nuance and like there isn't right. necessarily a, a right or wrong thing. Uh, just as you were talking, I just had, I just want to run this by you because I just had this thought of like, it's almost like for thinking of the honor it's almost like choosing to honor like the person for who they are instead of like for the th- for the things that they've accomplished or what they've done or yes. even what they have. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And it, and where like where it doesn't go overboard. Like you yeah. d- to honor someone you don't have to gift them uh, a new Harley Davidson or a, a $5,000 pairs of sneakers like the it is the thought that matters. Like yeah. the you know once you start you it's just objectively turns into an issue. I think when you start using people's tithe money to really gift lavish stuff to people in the name of honoring somebody, like I I think there's a way to do it without being overly gaudy or outlandish. Yeah. Um, One of the things that it made me think about, uh, and I think you, you talk about this even in the book is just how, um, how consumerism and capitalism has like influenced the church as well. I, I would just love to hear, like, what are some of the ways that you've seen that happen that um, that's maybe not easy for us to see? Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it makes sense, right? Like our churches are filled with people that are in the marketplace that are out there living life and have developed wants and needs based on everything else in life. And so uh, it makes sense that our churches, for better or for worse, have started to look a lot more like the world or modern culture. Or I think in the book, I saw, I say a Dave and Busters, like an arcade, which is so like exaggerating. Um, But so like, I'm, again, let me preface, I've got my MBA. I am very much on board with people making a profit, conducting commerce, all this kind of stuff. I think it drives innovation. It drives people to be able to fund really important things throughout the world. Uh, so I am not anti-capitalist and I'm not anti-making money or anything, but I think that, uh, or it, to me, it very clearly has intertwixed itself with the modern church to the point where it's hard to distinguish between the two. And people bring up all the time, like how I, like how I'm basically the same thing as what I'm pointing to with the book or the Instagram account. And my response to that is like, if it's hard to distinguish between me, a guy on Instagram screenshotting stuff and writing quips versus a multi-million dollar organization with 30,000 members and hundreds of millions in donations. That seems worth uh, dissecting because that feels like the church has become something it wasn't supposed to where a guy on Instagram can erode the thing or make it look like he's doing the exact same thing as these churches. Um, So, I mean, the things that, maybe are harder to see is the whole, I call it self-licking ice cream cone, this this whole uh, network of high profile pastors and worship leaders, basically hooking them, hooking them and them, their buddies up all throughout the year. And how it looks is they all have their individual cool churches that they grow big congregations, which is, there is there's, it's amoral about whether or not you have a big congregation or a small congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, but using that to build your personal brand and then inevitably getting a book deal, writing a couple of books on church time or getting a ghostwriter to write those books. And then now you have a, uh, because everybody has grown these uh, congregations filled with people that just want to show up and consume. They want to come be entertained, not really challenged, but more motivated. You want to have a nice comfy seat. They want to have good parking. They want to have beautiful people around them and dope music. Now, all these guys can essentially write these books and go preach at their buddies' churches uh, where they get a captivated audience of tens of thousands of people, sell those books to their congregations, pay each other to come speak, pay each other to come speak at one another's conferences and cross-promote each other's conferences and cross-promote each other's books. And uh, in turn, that turns into a pretty good business model. And it's not for everybody. Most pastors are out here struggling, bro. Like out, Most pastors are... Uh, you know, doing what I think is, is the main, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's biblical, the main job of the pastor to like invest in the local, it's Christianese, but flock of people to say, my job here is to help lead people spiritually, not go grow my personal brand. Even if other people like BK on Instagram is growing his personal brand, the role of pastor is specific and it's not just a motivational speaker. If you want to be that, be that. But if you want an actual job of pastor, that comes with some like very specific requirements and callings of which I don't want any part of, but plenty of people are called to. Um, so that is something I think plenty of people don't think about is, is how there's kind of a, uh, all these guys run in the same circles, a, kind of a network of ways that you can really create some real wealth for yourself. And 
I don't know if that's wrong. I I do know that it seems to it seems to make churches look like a retail enterprise instead of a place to point people to God because it, you ha- you cannot argue that people are selling tons of books and making tons of money on licensing music licensing through some of these churches and that's something that I just want to examine like if it's if there's a better way to do it because up to this point it's just been accepted like all right these guys are better speakers and so they get bigger platforms and so they write inevitably write books and sell to the bigger platforms I just want to be the type of person that's like, I mean, does it have to be this way? Like, it seems like people are making bank off of just preaching. And that seems weird at a minimum. Yeah. Well, I think you even hit it, you know, the thing we were even talking about this a little bit, you know, off air of just like, just what you were saying, like, even if it's amoral, we should be able to question it. And without it feeling like an attack. Yeah. Without it. Yeah. Without it feeling like um, an attack and everything. And so uh, I would like, what do you think has maybe, I don't know, maybe what, what is, and this is more just, I guess your, your theory, I would love your take on it, is like, what's led us to the place to where like, we're in the spot to where it does feel like we are, like, if we bring this up, it is being an attack. Uh, yeah, that's, that might be the next book, I think, <laughs> because it, it, uh, people, people think that I'm, People or people react as if I am calling any of these pastors a heretic or a false teacher or whatever, or even worse stuff, just by pointing to a thing and saying, I, I'm, for those listening, I'm shrugging my shoulders. Like, I, that's essentially all I've done for the past two years is say, this is a thing that is happening. They're, we have a lot of pastors that are wearing really expensive stuff. What is that? Why does it make us feel so mad or so icky at a minimum? And why do people get so pissed when I even ask the question about it? Um, and it's weird. I guess it's a, it's, it's hard to deal in nuance on social media, I guess, because everyone has the ability to just say their piece without having to, uh, at least acknowledge another person's point of view. You can literally just show up, say your thing and bounce. Um, and that breeds an environment where people aren't willing to say, Hmm, I haven't thought of it that way. Uh, you know, I thought this one, like some people do, but at scale, people aren't able to do that online. And I think that has turned into this culture of where (sighs) it's all intertwined. So, you know, when you, when you, build certain guys and girls up to celebrity status or you idolize them, even if you don't say it and you think this this is the guy I follow. I go to this guy's church. Uh, you know, he's always bringing the fire no matter what. And then somebody starts pointing to something and asking a question and you meet your immediate response is, who are you to ask a question about this? This guy will do more in a day than you'll do in your entire lifetime, which I hear all the time. Um, I, briefly lost my train of thought, but I'm saying we were talking about how it turns into asking questions, being an attack. Well, when you ask a question of somebody that you idolize, you're essentially saying that this person might not be all that they are, or they might not be all who you think they are. And it, you don't even have to come to the conclusion that they aren't who they think they are. The fact that you're questioning it makes the other person who has followed them spend all this time and money or whatever following this person now you're essentially implying that maybe they don't know what they're talking about or they don't know what they're 
what they, why they believe what they believe with all that kind of stuff. That's, that's never comfortable. Like, I think it's telling that you get so upset that someone's asking about a guy that you are so passionate about, but also it's, I, it's objectively not comfortable to have, to think somebody is awesome and then have somebody come along and say, I don't know if this person is awesome because then it forces you to contend with, uh, do I just bury my head in the sand? Do I give what this guy's saying any kind of, uh, legitimacy or do I defend this guy? Many people just want to defend the guy without thinking about or considering any of the critique or any of the questions that I bring up, uh, which is fine. But I think it's, it's, uh, it's a shame that many people are unable to at least just pause and, and think, uh, is there anything valid here? And I think it, uh, many of us are, don't take criticism well, or don't take feedback of any kind very well. Uh, I don't like, I don't love getting criticism by any means, but I think it's a healthy or a wise thing to have people in your life that can speak into that about whether it's a lie or if there's some validity to it. Cause I have had people say things online to me that I've brought to my community and people and a couple of times they've agreed like, Hey dude, you were kind of being a, a smart ass about this or you, or you, it doesn't seem like you had a good heart when you posted this kind of thing. That's helpful. And it doesn't feel good at the time, but looking back, that seems uh, like a worthy thing to consider. And so I, I hope that for other people and I'm willing to go through the practice of people thinking I'm attacking uh, certain people, even though I'm adamantly not or vehemently not uh, in order to get people to hopefully grow an empathy for another perspective. Cause I think that's a good outcome to hope for. Yeah. I was going to say, and even, even while you were talking, like it just made me think of, just how even the the prosperity gospel has filtered into this as yeah. well of just like it's it's hard for i think it's really hard um for especially you know followers of Jesus in America to think like man it looks successful that that it has to be you know some and again not uh you know not criticizing anybody because they all you know we don't know they all could be you know following you know the right way and everything we don't know their hearts and stuff but um it's just seeing how it's how we've just confused faithfulness to God with just success. Yeah. In our, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, and it kind of goes back into the consumerism thing, which is, it's is a, such a buzzword and I hate anything called an yeah. ism, but uh, our desire to be motivated, to be pushed to achieve our goals or achieve our destiny or whatever has very quickly turned into kind of a prosperity type transaction or prosperity gospel type transaction where it's like, if you believe that God has got you, he will give you the promotion or the, the bills paid or the health improvement, all that kind of stuff. It's not as blatant as sow your seed and he'll get a hundredfold return like the old school televangelists are. And there's plenty of those guys still making bank off of that stupid message. But then now there's the the self-help motivation thing is very palatable and it's very, uh, it's entertaining. It makes you feel good. Like you, I think there's an element to wanting to go to church to be refreshed and uplifted yeah. and like uh, collectively grow in uh, like encouraging one another. All that's great, I think. But to go as a source of trying to fix your worldly problems or to get the keys to success, I don't think that's, what church is for. I don't think that that's what Jesus came for. Like he said, or, uh, Jesus or Paul in this life, you will have 
trouble. Yeah, Jesus. It, yep. Yeah, sorry. Like, no, you're good. <laughs> I uh, I haven't memorized the entire Bible yet. I'm close though. Come on, um, Ben. <laughs> yeah. But it's in very plain language, and I I don't think there's much. Uh, it, well, it's easy to maybe twist that, but uh, I believe that it's true. It's like, dude, none of an easy life is not guaranteed, even if you donate all your money and serve all of your time. Because uh, if your theology is based on that, you'll quickly find that. Uh, that theology gets rocked once um, something bad happens to you. So um, I, I get why is it's happened over time. The Some of the most famous pastors generally talk about the same thing every weekend about being ready for your blessing and finding God's favor and being anointed and all that kind of stuff um, without calling anyone to anything really hard or any like, anything challenging about like dealing with your sin or even like just admitting that you're a sinner. Um, and I think that's for, to a detriment or that's a detriment to many Christians that go to these churches. And, uh, I think there's a time, I, I, I think there's a time coming where all, a lot of that is going to go away in an abrupt, I don't know how it's going to be, but an, it's abruptly going to change because, uh, eventually people are going to start catching on like, Hey, this guy is, basically telling us the same thing each weekend and nothing's changing for me. Um, so uh, I think that's an interesting thing to observe in modern Christianity because it's less, it's less, con- or it's less, I want to say concrete, but the prosperity, bona fide prosperity gospel is very easy to pick out. This type of kind of self-help gospel is harder to distinguish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, just, I think that's just an interesting thing for people to be aware of. Yeah. Well, and I think at some point, like in our lives, we'll have something bad happen to us. And like yeah. one way or another, it, the, the prosperity reveal, the prosperity gospel reveals that it isn't the true gospel. Right. And that's yeah. at some point or another. So, so you're either going to, you're either going to leave the faith because your faith was based on a lie that God is going to make me happy and he's going to, you know, as long as I do right by him, he's going to do right by me. It's like, that's just not the case. And I, I fear that people are going to leave the faith because of that. But hopefully if they do, it'll cause them to reevaluate what they actually believe and why they believe it. And I think that's a a helpful practice. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things I would love you to speak to is, you know, it's so easy for this topic to become, you know, about the other person, you know, the the celebrity pastors that we see on social media. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on how do you see this playing out? Like, what are some of the things that, like the, you know, that I should think through that you should think through, you know, the, the average church person should think yeah. through whenever it comes to this conversation. Yeah. And I love that you brought that up because on the internet is very easy to just point the finger at what everybody else is doing wrong. Yeah. And I think if you asked anybody in a vacuum, they would think they're doing pretty good in life or that they were, they act, they acted right online, that kind of stuff. Um, there's so much here because I've, been able to see uh, this weird cultural experiment by way of my account, seeing all these different types of people through them messaging me different stuff and emailing me different stuff and also just commenting. You can see it that there's a lot here that indicts regular Christians, regular Christians online and those that are consuming sermons and church services and all that kind of stuff. Uh, We are not absolved of responsibility for serving our neighbor and uh, dying to ourselves and not elevating ourselves above the one we say we believe or the one we say we follow. Um, just like practically, social media is 
is a area that many Christians have never considered how their posts will impact others outside of, am I wearing something scantily clad? Am I drinking in public? That kind of stuff. Sure. People put it through that filter. But outside of that, many of us had never considered, me included, I had never considered that my pick on this dope vacation or a courtside at an NBA game or with my buddy who's in the NBA um, could actually be a stumbling block for somebody or cause them to envy my life or have anxiety and depression. Like there's plenty of data out there now about how social media can cause anxiety and depression. And many Christians just never give a thought. Uh, instead, they just want to post myself included. And I've had to go back and really audit this and go through my social media. Um, many of us just want to post to show people how awesome our life is. And this gets back into the authenticity thing about how we're jet setting around the world or how we got this new promotion and got this new office or we got this new car and not even thinking for a second about like, hey, the people that follow me might be struggling or might be going through really hard times and they're seeing me present this fake life uh, that I'm choosing to curate and in turn making them feel depressed about their own lives. I mean, uh, I think we should care about that. I think we should care about that more than we have in the past. And I stole plenty of that from my buddy, JP, Jonathan Picluto, because he, he's the one that basically brought it up to me two years ago. It was like, I would say the majority, I think he said it on my podcast, the majority of what we post on social media is to cause others to envy our life in one way or the other. It's not sure there's, there's deviations from the rule, but many things we're trying to post to say, look at me, look how awesome this is. Um, and I think we should contend with that, or we're at least going to have to account for that. Like JP said, in, in my podcast. And, um, on the flip side, you don't want to be controlled by the opinions of randos on, on the internet. You don't want to live in fear, obviously, but I think you also don't get to just live without considering the impacts of your posts, especially if you're choosing to be a public figure and, you know, uh, or at least have a big platform and reap the benefits of public figure status. Uh, you're going to have impact on people you don't realize you're having impact on. And also you're going to get criticism from people that feel like that may get you wrong, but also it's well within their right to do that because you're choosing to put it out there in the ether. You, they don't, you don't get to determine how people interpret the stuff you put out there. So that's one thing that people always ask me for like, everybody yeah. wants five tips to improve their life or how to improve whatever. And I don't, I have never claimed to have those, but I think that's something that we can do is to audit our heart behind what we post and why we post. And I think we'll be surprised if uh, what you find. Mm -hmm. What's uh, something, it could be around preachers and sneakers. It could be, you know, around consumerism or capitalism or anything like that. Yeah. That is part of the conversation that you're like, man, I wish that as a, you know, as a society that we, we talked about this more um, or anything like that. So like, what do I wish we yeah. talked well, about more? around like any of this subject where you feel like, man, I'm not feeling hearing this thing, you know, talked about, but I, but I wish we would talk about it because it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was surprising to me that nobody had, maybe not nobody, but right, right after I started the account, it was surprising to me that nobody had done something like this similar in a way that, people were talking about it because all this stuff has been happening forever and people cared about it. 
like the reason my account grew is because all these people already cared about this topic. Um, and so I wish maybe more churches would soul search a bit and be open with like, Hey, we've been doing church this way. We don't know why we've been doing it this way. It's just seemed like this is what successful churches do. And now we're trying to, I hate to use the word, but deconstruct why we do this and do church this way in, in hopes of having a more authentic representation of what God wanted for his church. I wish more churches did that. I wish we as Christians demanded that more instead of just like, I go to a really nice church here in Dallas, very comfy. It's a great church. I think they do a really good job of being big, but also not losing track of its members, like really uh, keeping people accountable and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I wish more churches were like, yeah, dude, we've got some really expensive stuff here and we're working through about whether or not we actually need that super expensive stuff. Or if all of our real estate is really actually necessary, all that kind of stuff. Cause nobody is having that at least publicly with the Instagram churches and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, that, and then I, I wish people would be, I wish people would be more open about social media's impact on the world and the people around us. Like I think social media is very, I mean, you almost have to have it now in, in life today. Uh, it's very, it's very important. It's got tons of impact and it's basically amoral, I think, but, uh, it also is proven to cause tons of anxiety and depression and is causing people to waste their lives away on a thing that, uh, will never satisfy you. And this is me preaching to myself because after this, I'm going to get on my phone and look at social in hopes that today Instagram will solve my anxiety problem or Twitter will make me feel good for once. Uh, it never will. And I think that's a, that's a deeper problem than we really treat it in Christian circles. And I hope that we start talking about that more because then it leads into like the whole mental health discussion, um, yeah. which even still is a taboo topic for people. Yeah. And it has, at least for me, going to counseling, just like even examining my own mental health has been such a huge help in so many ways that many, many people don't even know is an option. And sure, like it's, it's, it's def like, especially talk therapy isn't, it's expensive. And so not everybody can do it. Yeah. But I think even just trying to push into like, Hey, my brain matters and how my brain sees things can be changed. And, uh, my life is affected about how I view the world and how the, the lies I believe, all that kind of stuff. So I wish we talked about that more because it's just, it affects everybody. And very few people are just so, uh, mindfully and emotionally secure and perfect that we all have work to do. So those two things, probably I'm sure there's a million other, but on the, off the yeah. top of my head. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we cover? Hmm. I, I, for me personally, I don't, I don't know who listens to your podcast or, or what, everyone's leanings are in your audience and plenty of people have preconceived notions about me and probably have a, a bias either for me or towards me. I hope people know that I, I genuinely tried my best to, yeah. to thoughtfully talk about these things in a way that isn't insulting or, uh, abrasive for being abrasive sake. Some of this stuff is uncomfortable and I don't love 
being a part of this discussion every day because it's, it can be exhausting. It can be, it, it can be off-putting, it can mess with relationships, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I hope if whoever's listening to this and reads the book, I hope, you know, that I tried my best and know that I did it imperfectly and don't think I'm more anointed or more special than another person for whatever reason. I became the guy to do this and uh, I'm still trying to do my best and still figuring things out along the way. So I hope people hear that and give the book a chance or give the account a chance. Um, and hopefully you get something out of it. Yeah. Uh, what makes you keep wanting to do it? Uh, I think the, to me, it seems, it seems very evident that God is doing something with it or through it. And because one, I wouldn't choose for myself to be involved in this kind of discussion. And two, I could have never made this big. Like I could have never made this what it is. And so I keep just being like, while I'm having these conversations where people are super pissed at me or I'm getting really stressed out because people are, uh, you know, calling me a hypocrite or a coward or whatever, all of that is continued validation that like people don't have this thing figured out and need to be able to air it out a little bit and discuss it. And I, up to this point, it still seems worth discussing. And, you know, if you, read the reviews about the book and the audiobook and the podcast and all that people on a daily basis are telling me that they're getting something different out of it, whether it's causing them to audit their own social media or their heart behind why they buy things or wear things or save money or give money, or it's causing church staff to literally talk about how they do, how they do production in their services, how they compensate their staff, how they, uh, advertise or how they have their own presence on social media, all these things that I, I cannot claim any credit for, but that for whatever reason, God is using these different topics to do that. Um, that's what keeps me going. I don't know how much longer, I mean, I'm sure I'll do something else after yeah. this. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about pastoral footwear for the rest of my life, <laughs> but, um, I'm just grateful for the opportunity now yeah. and I'm trying to do right by it and hope that others get something out of it too. Yeah. Well, Thanks for starting the conversation and everything. I think it's much needed. And so Preachers and Sneakers, best place to, you know, the Instagram handle, the book, all of that. Anything else that you want to let people know about? Uh, Preachersandsneakers.com has all the links for the book. They don't want me to promote one retailer over the other. So all the links are aggregated there, preachersandsneakers.com. And then I've got the podcast, cleverly named the Preachers and Sneakers podcast, where we talk about some of these things. I have guests that are a lot smarter than me, and I'll go on some rants about some of this stuff too, so they can check that out. But uh, yeah, the book's the best place. That's what I care most about right now, and hope people enjoy it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Caleb. Appreciate your time, buddy. I think coming out of that interview, one of of the things that I've just been wrestling about, and and I mentioned it in the interview, is just dealing with the tension of, you know, being a follower of Jesus and wrestling with the tension between he must become greater and I must become less. And what is the role of self-promotion in that as well? And just wrestling with that and trying to figure that out because self-promotion is not something that comes naturally to me. It's not something that I feel like I'm I'm not good at. And, and digging into, for myself, and figuring out kind of, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what makes that so? What makes self-promotion such a such a difficult thing for me to to deal with or to to handle? And so 
wrestling with that and trying to figure that out and just exploring that. And, and I think part of the, or along the way, realizing that not all self-promotion is bad. And I think a lot of it comes down to intention and motivation and why are you doing what you're doing, which is which can be hard to capture as well. And so I think that's one of the things that has really stood out to me um, just around this whole topic that that Ben has you know started this conversation around. And so if you have any thoughts, I would love to hear from you. The best way to reach out to me is uh, at Instagram, which is at Caleb J. Mason. Would love to hear from you, um, whether it be about this episode and any thoughts that you have or anything that you would love to see covered on the podcast as well. Would just love to hear from you and anything uh, along that. My Instagram is at Caleb J. Mason. And yeah, I think that's uh, all that I have today. Uh, actually, real quick, I want to say uh, thank you to Garrett Oler, who does the editing for this podcast as well. Thanks to Sam Massey, who ha- has provided the music for this podcast. And so I think that is all that I have for today. And so until next time, keep learning and keep growing.